Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We're entering today a new um, year on the Western calendar, but in walking through the scriptures, the Lord's uh, biblical calendar, we're entering a new chapter of the Bible, the book of Exodus, at a time when the Jewish people were being annihilated and God called, and as they cried out to the Lord, he's allowed Moses to experience the burning bush and the anointing that would bring deliverance and set the captives free. So as we walk in synchron, in, in step with God's word, we have an important message for all of us here around the world to contend in prayer and spiritual warfare and fasting and whatever it would take for a divine intervention to release the hostages held in Gaza that we can see God's rescue take place and a great exodus in this season. And that's a perfect segue. Let me introduce the topic. The topic is the hostages, those who are held uh, in Gaza, somewhere in Gaza. Uh, I don't want us, as we close out this year, to forget these people. I noticed on Facebook all these pictures of people who were kidnapped early on, and I don't see them very much anymore. And I'm concerned we could suddenly forget about these people who are being raped and tortured, in some cases already killed, and uh, we need to prevail on their behalf. And so we've, we have a wonderful guest from Jerusalem. He's Caleb Myers. He's an attorney. He's a founder of the Voice for Freedom Coalition who is representing many of the family members of the Israeli hostages that are being held by Hamas. Earlier this month, uh, Rosemary and I were in Brussels, Belgium, got to be with Caleb briefly, <clears throat> got to hear him speak. He brought a number of the family members of the hostages there. Caleb, we are immensely grateful to you for what you're doing. I don't know how many years we've known you, but it's been quite a few years we've known of you and what you're doing and met with you in Jerusalem several times. So we praise God for who you are, what you're doing, if you would take the first two minutes just to tell people who you are, a little bit of your life history, where you were born, your own schooling and such, and how you got into what you're doing, then we're going to jump into that very important topic of the condition of the hostages, even the conditions of those who've been released. Caleb, welcome to the World Parent Network call. Tell us a little bit about you first. Yeah, thank you, Jim. It's great to be with you. Uh, I was actually uh, born in the United States. I lived in New York and Pennsylvania until the age of 18, at which time I immigrated to Israel. Uh, my father is Jewish. Uh, my uh, mother is Christian. Uh, so I'm a, a Jewish background believer in Jesus. Um, I'm married to a wonderful wife, Shelly. We have uh, five children. We live in the Judean Hills outside of Jerusalem. Uh, Shelly has a special heritage. In 1948, there were only 23 Jewish Israeli believers in Jesus that we're aware of. And nine of those 23 were her uh, uh, grandparents and their seven children. So I married into a very special family. Uh, quite like you, Jim. And um, and so, yeah, so I, I uh, immigrated over here, served in the IDF, studied law at Hebrew University, and then uh, I've been practicing law now um, for the last 23 years. I'm a partner in one of Israel's largest uh, law firms, Yehuda Rave and Company. And because I'm, I'm the only um, Jewish believer in Jesus that's uh, a partner in a large law firm in Israel, a lot of Christian businesses come my way over the years. So if you take the vast majority of the money that's invested or donated by evangelical Christians in Israel, I represent um, most of that um, as, as a lawyer. Uh, twice I've started organizations to kind of leverage the interesting intersection 
that I live and work on between people of faith and the nations and, and Israel. I founded an organization called the Jerusalem Institute of Justice in 2004, which is still going strong. And if you're uh, a part of any Christian minority over here um, that has any discrimination, persecution, harassment for your faith, either in Israel or the Palestinian territories, you can come to GIJ and receive pro bono legal representation. It's also the only organization that until today that I'm aware of in Israel systematically uh, researches, documents, and exposes the abuse of Palestinian human rights by the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, which is so relevant today. What many people don't know is that when the IDF completes its mission to destroy uh, uh, the leadership of Hamas in Gaza, there will be Palestinians dancing in the street uh, because of the terrible way that they've been treated by by Hamas. And uh, that's very well documented by the Jerusalem Institute of Justice. And then six years ago, I started another organization called Arise, which the, the Alliance to Reinforce Israel's Security and Economy, which focused mostly on uh, combating the insidious campaign to boycott the state of Israel. It's called BDS, Boycott, Divest, Sanction. And we, we combat that, but just by creating more business relations between uh, faith-based uh, and, and Christian-owned businesses, business leaders around the world and the economy of Israel. We've had very large B2B business-to-business uh, -business matchmaking summits and done a lot of work in order to uh, make more business connections in the face of, of uh, voices of, of boycott. But because I'm, I'm uh, kind of well-known over here as somebody who represents a lot of uh, Christian organizations worldwide, um, when the war broke out, I was contacted by the Forum of the Families of Hostages who were kidnapped by Hamas. At that time, there were around 250 people uh, that were uh, kidnapped from their homes and from the music festival in Israel, taken into Gaza, kept in tunnels. And uh, th that forum asked me to help lead an international media and diplomatic lobbying campaign uh, which is why I created the Voice for Freedom Coalition, which now has over 350 Christian networks and organizations worldwide focused on uh, advocating for the immediate and unconditional release of all of the hostages. That's, uh, that's extremely impressive. That tells us how you got started. And now take us to the hostages themselves. I believe you've already answered the questions of how many were really uh, initially. Uh, yeah. So that's 250, you think from yeah. us, the number of countries, tell us how many countries were represented then, and then how many that we're aware of that have died or were killed there, how many were released, uh, how many you think are still there, uh, how many nations are represented, and what you know about the, I'm, I'm just putting a bunch of questions at once, the condition of those who are still confined and, and kidnapped, and, and what, what's the condition emotionally, mentally, of those and physically who have been released. So kind of a barrage of questions to just turn you loose on a, on a very yeah. difficult, painful topic. Yeah, it's very difficult. So, well, thank you. Those, those are all wonderful questions. Um, there's around 40 uh, citizenships uh, of people who were who were kidnapped. So this is actually, it is an international problem. It's not just an Israeli problem. Uh, and throughout all the age categories as well. I mean, we had people up in their 80s that were kidnapped, Holocaust survivors. Can you imagine, Jim, you know, having survived the horrors of the 1930s and 1940s to build a come into Israel and build a life here, you know, just to be uh, kidnapped by a terrorist organization like this and, and held in underground tunnels, just a... Uh, another nightmare situation, uh, but all the way down to, you know, babies. So actually there are still two toddlers uh, that, that are in captivity, one one-year-old and one three-year-old three -year from the B-Bus family 
In the first uh, hostage deal, which took place uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there were 121 hostages uh, released, uh, both Israelis and uh, foreign workers, which means there's 129 hostages left today. We know from the testimony of other hostages released, it's been confirmed that 30 of those 129 are no longer alive. So there's actually 99 hostages that we hope are, are still alive. Of the 99 uh, uh, who we hope are still alive, um, 14 of them are uh, women uh, and 85 are men. So those are the kind of basic uh, demographics. 18 of them are over the age of 60 and uh, uh, two of them are under the age of, of 18 who I mentioned, they're actually very small children. That's what we're talking about today. They're held in horrendous situations. Most of them are held underground. We, are, we know all this from the 121 that were released, right? Um, they, they've been abused uh, badly. Um, they, many of them were beaten with uh, electric cables um, and uh, virtually starved. So they were fed either a handful of rice a day or half a pita a day uh, with a little water. Uh, most of them were within the uh, first 50 days, which is around the time that uh, they they were uh, we had we we the deal was done. Uh, they most of them had taken a shower maximum once. Some of them were not able to take a shower at all for that whole period of time. So now the again the 99 who we hope are still alive have been in that situation for 85 days now, um, and you know every day that they're in captivity, their lives are put in danger. Many of them uh, we know have illnesses that need chronic med medication that we're not receiving. The people that did, the hostages that did receive medical treatment received very poor medical treatment. Um, some of them, they came back, they were just uh, on, the, on the edge of, of survival um, and uh, Israel had to apply life-saving medical treatment to them uh, in order to keep them alive. So it's a very, 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 very uh, uh, serious situation. Are, are most of them kept to your knowledge in underground tunnels? Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, I would, I'd assume that all of them right now of the ones left in Gaza are being held in underground tunnels. And, and some, of, some of them very deep underground tunnels. One of the horrendous things that happened is, you know, the $100 million a year that was given to Hamas from Qatar um, over the last, you know, six or seven years was, the vast majority of that was used to build this underground city, basically. So it's hundreds of kilometers of tunnels, uh, a massive, unprecedented uh, project and an unprecedented uh, battlefield. It's There's never been a more complex um, uh, war situation that we're aware of in the history of modern warfare. Um, we, and not only is it complex to you know, get the terrorists who are in this underground labyrinth, but they're, they've surrounded themselves by hostages, which makes it even more difficult. And so it's a very, very complex situation. Are they held, are they in solitary confinement or are they held together in groups? Most of them, the, from the ones that, were, that came out, most of them were held together in, in very, very small groups. Um, and so uh, I'm not aware of anyone who, who uh, was, was held in solitary uh, confinement. Um, yeah, but it's a terrible situation because they also said 
that as time went on, they kept on moving them more and more underground. So they have less air and less light. Um, and so, you know, the breathing conditions are very difficult. And, um, you know, some of them haven't seen light for the last 85 days. I heard about one uh, uh, young girl who came out and last I heard the report, she hadn't even been able to speak. Uh, do you, is that true of a number of them or was that just that isolated situation and yes. you know, condition emotionally, how they're able to start to function after being held that long? I mean, that's definitely an issue of prayer. There's no question that it'll be a miracle if many of these people don't end up with serious PTSD from the uh, horrific mental trauma that they've undergone. Some of them who, there were many bullet wounds, especially from the people who were kidnapped from the uh, from the music festival, the Nova Music Festival. And uh, those, several of them that were released uh, received operations uh, to remove bullets, et cetera, with, I mean, no, um, no anesthesia. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so, and yeah, and there are, so some of the children who came out, it, it took them weeks before they were willing to speak because their captors would only let them whisper and they would threaten them with death if they made any noise. And they were in that situation for quite a long time. And so some of them still have a problem speaking without whispering, uh, particularly the younger children. So that is one of the things that is being dealt with by professional you know, therapists and psychologists today. Uh, these these people are all being treated with you know the best tools that our our medical and psychological uh, system over here has. Although it's a pretty un unprecedented situation, there's no there's no exact professional uh, rule book about how to how to treat cases like this. It's an extreme situation. I heard of two accounts where one person was held in the attic of a UN worker, United Nations worker. And one was held in the attic of a doctor who I'm not sure if he was affiliated with the UN or not. Have yes. you heard of those two situations and others like it where actually people who we expect to be altruistic were participating in the holding of hostages? Yeah, it's a very good issue uh, that you bring up, Jim. Um, both of those, both the doctor and the teacher work for UNRWA, which is the United Nations Relief and Work Agency. It's an organization, it's, you know, uh, Without going into an overly complicated explanation, basically there are two organizations under the UN that deal with refugees in the world. One is the UNHCR, the United Nations High Council of Refugees, which has helped resettle over 60 million displaced people since uh, World War II. Uh, and you know, in the post-World War II era, there are many population exchanges around the world um, between Germany and Poland and Finland and Russia and Turkey and Bulgaria. Uh, between Pakistan and India alone during this period, there are 14 million people who exchanged places, right? So uh, in 1948, of course, there was a big population exchange as you had 800,000 Jews who were forcefully expelled or voluntarily left Arab countries and came into the fledgling state of Israel. And you had many, about 750,000 Palestinians that, that fled and went into Arab countries surrounding Israel. But uh, the, U the UNHCR was not able to take care of the Palestinian refugees. Why? Because none of the Arab states around Israel were willing to help them or give them any citizenship. In fact, they, they refuse until today to give them citizenship, even though they've been there for three generations uh, and 80 years, uh, they're still devoid of any rights. And 
It's a very sad situation. So the UN in 1951 created a second refugee organization called UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency. So all the refugees in the world are under one refugee organization, and just the Palestinians have their own refugee organization because none of the Arab states were willing to help them or grant them any rights. Uh, and the problem with that is that whereas the UNHCR has a mandate to you know get people settled in their new countries of residence, get them jobs, citizenship, et cetera, because they can't do that, UNRWA only provides humanitarian aid, jobs and food and education until what they say, until these people can actually come back uh, into uh, uh, the area that they left, which is the state of Israel. Now, the, the, refuge, the, UNRWA, the refugees that are taken care of under UNRWA are now between six and seven million Palestinians throughout the Middle East. Unlike UNHCR, when a refugee passes away, the refugee status passes away with them. Under UNRWA, Palestinian refugees can inherit it from generation to generation. So you have this massive organization that receives over a billion dollars of funding a year from the international uh, community, which uh, is supposed to be helping Palestinians. The problem is that over the last 10 years, every year in the uh, elections for their uh, employment committee, the Hamas faction wins, which means we know that 75% of the workers of UNRWA actually uh, affiliate with Hamas, which is a terrorist organization. So you have a UN organization, which is completely funded by uh, the international community, including governments of the United, the government of the United States. Under the previous administration, with Nikki Haley as the uh, uh, ambassador to the UN, the funding of UNRWA stopped because of this uh, situation, but it was picked up again by the current administration, which is uh, giving your tax dollars to this very bad organization, completely hijacked by Hamas. And for that reason, it's not a, a um, unfortunately, uh, it's not a surprise to many of us that they're actually workers of Hamas. Again, like you said, a teacher and a doctor who are holding Israeli hostages, uh, workers of UNRWA, working for Hamas and holding Israeli hostages. But it's, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. And there should be an international outcry about that, 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 you know, official workers of a UN organization, representatives of a UN organization, were holding hostages on behalf of Hamas. Uh, it's just uh, completely unbelievable. And we believe that the US should defund UNRWA again. That's the right thing to do. Actually, UNRWA should be disbanded. All these refugees should be taken care of under the UNHCR, actually get citizenship at where they've lived for the last three generations. Instead of setting, you know, it's feeding them this pipe dream that one day we're going to have an influx of, you know, six or seven million Palestinians back into Israel, which, of course, would mean the Muslims become majority, Jews become minority, and the one Jewish state in the world ceases to exist. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's that's definitely something to pray about. I appreciate so much your answer. Uh, folks, you listen to something fairly technical there. I suspect many of you are aware of what he shared, but if you're not. That's extremely important, what Caleb Myers has shared. If you're just tuned in, Caleb Myers is an attorney from Jerusalem. Uh, he has Voice for Freedom. He's representing the families of the hostages in Gaza right now. And what he talked about about UNRWA is something you really need to know. This is important for us as American citizens to strongly object to the funding of this. This is a calamitous organization creating such havoc. Uh, I, I don't want to leave the hostages theme too far, but I think it might be well for us just for a minute, the word Palestinian, pal the ethnicity of Palestinian, where did that term, where would that term originate? Palestine, Palestinian. 
<coughs> ethnography-wise, uh, who are the Palestinians? Uh, if, if you don't mind fielding that question, and we're going to go back a little bit more of the hostages. There are no problem. The well, the um, the under the Ottoman Empire, which was you know in in this land, uh, uh, which we now call Israel, uh, in, until 1921, this area was called uh, Palestine, and it was given to uh, Great Britain uh, as the British mandate. It was called the British Mandate for Palestine uh, at the San Remo Conference in, in 1921 after uh, World War I. Uh, and so anyone who was living there, even if you were Jews and you were living here before 1948, you were referred to as a Palestinian because it was the British Mandate for Palestine, right? Uh, where that term actually came from is you know, far far back uh, in in history, they, when the Romans actually, when they conquered Jerusalem and they wanted to change the, this area from the name of, of Judea, they, they, they referred to it as, as Palestine, uh, which we think comes from the, uh, referring to Philistines who were an ethnic group that were here you know, uh, back in, in, in biblical times. But this was a British, uh, this is a British mandate for, Pal uh, for Palestine until the state of Israel was, was declared in, in 1948. After that time, people started to refer, minorities who were in the, in the land be that are not Jewish uh, up until 1948 uh, continued to refer themselves as Palestinians because they rejected the, the idea that this is a Jewish state. Um, and and they, for many years, they weren't willing to recognize the existence of the Jewish state. Uh, where did they come from? Most of them were, were what you would call migrant workers uh, from Egypt, from Iraq, from Syria, uh, from Lebanon. Uh, they were migrant uh, uh, agricultural workers who were in this land, uh, working kind of as surf farmers under the, under the Ottoman Empire. They put down roots here. They refer to themselves as, as Palestinians. Um, they've never been a Palestinian state. Uh, they've never, they, the, the, the quote-unquote Palestinians have never actually had any sovereignty uh, over this land. So all their claims that, you know, the Jews stole the land from them and so on and so forth are completely inaccurate. Um, and until 1967, actually, Egypt was in control of Gaza. Jordan was in control of the West Bank. And there was never a, a movement or a desire or request to create a Palestinian state in either of those regions. Uh, but that's because there was Muslim leadership. It's just when Israel took over those, those areas in 1967, then they, they claimed you stole our land and we want to create a Palestinian state because they, they're just, it's unacceptable uh, to, to fundamental Islamic doctrine to have Jewish sovereignty anywhere in the world much less in, in in this region. So, you know, that's that's a little bit about where that came from. And and Hamas, which now has um, you know, is is holding these hostages and carried out the massacre on October 7th, they're a fundamental Islamic religious organization. From their perspective, the whole map of Israel is Palestine. When when people go out and, and chant on their behalf in US universities from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. They're referring uh, to the area between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, which is the whole map of Israel. It's basically a call for the massacre of all the Jews living in the land and the complete annihilation of a Jewish state, uh, which is a uh, which is a fantasy of radical Islamic uh, uh, fundamental jihadists, uh, and it's a you know. 
while you're praying for the hostages, you should also pray for the United States and for the universities in the United States, because the fact that this is actually taking place on campuses over there should be a concern to every American, Jim. Yes, I would think they're a national security threat. Yes. If they, if they are, are chanting, uh, affirming individuals who came in and put babies in ovens and carved babies out of the wombs of women, uh, this is a violence like we have not seen, a barbaric act like we have not seen in recent history. This yeah. is a national security threat to our nation. Uh, and the FBI, were it doing what it ought to be doing, ought to be very concerned for the protection of Americans on that very issue. Uh, back yeah. to the Palestinian thing one more time. Distinguish between me, if there is a difference, uh, we're going back to kind of ethnography, I realize, a Palestinian as opposed to an Arab. Is Arab a broader category, Palestinians one category under, or is that completely separate categories? Yeah, the, the, these are all, I mean, there are many layers of complexity in all, in all these issues, uh, uh, Jim. Um, so the uh, the vast, all, 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 Pal all Palestinians that I'm aware of are also Arab, but not all Arabs are Palestinians. So they see themselves as belonging to the larger, Arab League throughout the, the Middle East that stretches from, you know, the Arabian Peninsula all the way up into Lebanon that are an ethnic group that speak Arabic. They, you know, they 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 have a certain cultural and and uh, and language um, uh, in, in common. They have a cult, they have a common culture and language and they're Arabs. Those Arabs who have families again that, that were in uh, Palestine before it was the Jewish state was created, uh, whether they're, they're refugees outside of Israel or they're still within the border, they would ref many of them refer to themselves as Palestinians. Uh, not all Palestinians are Muslim. They're also Christian Palestinians. There's a very, very small Christian community in Gaza right now of around 800 people out of a population of around 2, two million. Um, so yeah, those I know those terms can be be confused sometimes and you, you brought up the some of the the terrible details of what happened on october 7th they the putting live babies in ovens and and uh and and violently removing them from the wombs of their mothers many people were decapitated uh, one of the most difficult things is the many of the hostages in fact all the hostages that are being held right now in gaza went through all that experienced it they don't know if their families one of the things that many of the people who were released were surprised to find out that their families were still alive uh and so they're over there thinking that you know who knows who even survived and they they think that everybody was massacred and they might be the only people from their families or neighborhoods that even survived uh, uh, and so that's just another level of mental suffering of the people who are over there right now without access to any information. Um, yeah, we know that from the testimony of people have been set free. Just a, a statement going back to one thing that uh, Kenneth Myers shared earlier about the land, the issue um, of Palestinians claiming was used to our land. Land changes hands two ways. Either you purchase it or in times of war and throughout a whole of human history. Those two ingredients have designated the change. Obviously, sometimes government can just simply take land, but most land changes either by uh, actual purchase or by war. And uh, the Jews who came back when all the interest became so intense in Israel, what was then called Palestine uh, in the late 1880s, 1800s, uh, this was purchased. Jews purchased massive 
amounts of land, developed it, and then the Arabs accused them of taking it once it had been developed. And then in times of war, 67, uh, you do have war change, uh, land changing hands when war happens. Israel's been attacked over and over. Uh, well, I've said this many times on the World Prayer Network call that God promised to Israel this massive swath of land from the Euphrates to the Nile. Well, that's 300,000 square miles. Even under David's rulership and to some measure under Solomon's, the, the most amount of land that Israel ever had was 200,000 square miles. What does Israel have now? 8,100 square miles. They have a tiny amount of land in terms of what was God, God promised them. But the uh, these the surrounding countries want all of them dead. And it's not an issue of the land. They want the Jews just gone. And so they designed maps that doesn't even mention Israel. You can find maps. Google it. You'll find maps. No Israel in, in, in existence. Uh, I want to ask this question. What percentage of the Palestinians support Hamas and and I, I read up to as high as 89% and as low as 57%, but how could you possibly do a survey when if you answer the wrong way, you could be killed? So it's a very, know? very difficult question. <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a difficult question because like you said, okay, so according to the surveys, both in the West Bank and Gaza, like 80% support Hamas and, and what they did on October 7th. The problem is that within the Arabic culture, not, you, first of all, you have a fear that you know you could be considered to be a collaborator if you answer those questions wrong when they're doing those polls and also there there's a, a a culture of saving face and saving the honor of the tribe so to speak and so even though behind the scenes many people hate hamas and are willing to talk about it when they're called by somebody who wants to who they may or may not know who wants to know their position on something they're just going to pull the party line so to speak because they're afraid for their for their own safety we do know that uh, many of the people who came after the Hamas militants into the into the kibbutzim when they were attacked were actually citizens, uh, and so there is a significant element of uh, of citizens that support Hamas and celebrated what they did on, on October seventh. Um, we I believe though there's there's a critical mass both in the West Bank and in Gaza that'll be very very uh, happy when. Hamas uh, is destroyed by 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 Israel, um, simply because one of the untold uh, stories is tens of thousands of Palestinians have died at sea over the last decade, trying to get on these little rafts and make it across, escape Gaza, make it across the Mediterranean uh, Sea to get to you know Cyprus or Italy or one of these places. Uh, tens of thousands, because it's so difficult to live under a, a radical Islamic police state uh, in which, you know, uh, women aren't allowed to, <laughs> they're not allowed to do a lot of things. They can't smoke in public. They can't, you know, ride a motorcycle in public. They, you know, men have to have mandatory haircuts. I mean, you're talking about a strict religious uh, uh, state, which violently punishes people if they get a little bit out of line. Uh, similar to what we saw and what we see in North Korea or, you know, the former Soviet Union. Uh, and so uh, nobody, no, no human being enjoys living under that. Uh, one of the problems is, though, that the uh, that the younger generation has been indoctrinated by Hamas. They completely controlled the education system uh, within Gaza. And so Israel completely withdrew any presence from Gaza in 2005. Some of the teenagers who went in with, with um, weapons and slaughtered Jews on October 7th weren't even born when Israel 
you know, withdrew from the Gaza Strip. They've they've been completely brainwashed and indoctrinated by uh, uh, an education system which says Jews are pigs and monkeys. They're not even human beings, you know, and they're only worthy worthy to be slaughtered. Uh, but many of these schools are also under UNRWA, which we mentioned, which have been funded both by the European Union and the United States. Uh, and so there's a lot of soul searching that needs to be done uh, for, you know, the, the day the day after, let's call it. And one of the biggest things is is education, Jim. Uh, you know, so the, we, the next generation uh, will, will actually, similar to Israel, receive an education of, uh, of seeing the other side, the other party with dignity and honor uh, and, and having a respectful dialogue. We might have our differences, but we can have respectful dialogue and not teach our children, you know, a jihad uh, and, you know, de dehumanization of the other side. As the attorney who's representing these families of hostages, and yet as one who knows that Hamas must be totally destroyed, how do you balance out the issue of, quote, a ceasefire where some can be released as opposed to Israel just simply pressing in further, faster, quicker, in hopes that that could help release more hostages. What are your thoughts on that? Very difficult. Our government said that it, you know, basically has two goals for this war, uh, Jim. One is the complete annihilation of the military capabilities of Hamas. And the second is a complete release of all hostages. I'm afraid that neither of those goals are 100% achievable. Uh, and, you know, but I know that the, the current policy is to continue fighting as if there's no negotiation, continue negotiating as if there's no fighting. Uh, we believe, I firmly believe, that there are two things that can really, uh, that are really effective in releasing hostages. Number one, continued military pressure of Israel on Hamas in Gaza. When, when Hamas really understands that its days are numbered, uh, it will start negotiating in order to save itself in any way possible and come back to the table uh, for a deal regarding the hostages. So first of all, military pressure. Second of all, international pressure on Qatar. You know, Qatar uh, likes to play this game where it invests billions of, first of all, uh, just over the last five years, it donated, I think it's uh, over $4 billion to United States universities. So it's both investing and donating massive amounts of money, both in the United States and Europe, in order to build a reputation there. At the same time, as we speak, it's also uh, generously hosting the uh, senior leadership of Hamas, uh, which are in which live in Doha. Uh, they all live in Doha, the capital city of Qatar, as they're you know giving directives to their people in Gaza who are actually under uh, literal uh, fire. Uh, of Israel, of, of Israel, and so they don't really care about the the suffering of the Palestinian people or their own members of Hamas in Gaza. They're they're living in complete comfort, and so Qatar hosts them. It also funds them. Like I said, up to a hundred million dollars a year coming from Qatar to Hamas. But somehow it's getting it's gotten away with playing this game uh, with the West. It can somehow be the friend of, of the United States and Europe, and be in good relationship with them while it's completely harboring, funding, and supporting a terrorist organization. We believe, and Qatar uh, was really behind negotiating the first release, the big uh, deal for the release of the 121 that were released so far. One of the reasons is that they're coming under pressure. And the United States and Europe are saying, you, you need to make a decision, Qatar. You can't continue to play this game. You can't continue to harbor Hamas 
and fund this terrorist organization at the same time be in like normal relationships with us. The United States' largest military base isn't outside of the borders of the United States, to the best of my knowledge, is in Qatar. And so uh, it's really time to call them to account. Um, and will Israel be able to completely destroy Hamas and release all the hostages? We hope that it comes as close as possible to achieving both of those things. But uh, it, it, it's probably unlikely uh, that it'll uh, achieve them both 100%. We think the best odds of them doing so are continuing the military pressure and continuing the international pressure on Qatar. What we've done with the Voice for Freedom uh, Coalition, Jim, is we've taken delegations of family members of hostages to tell their personal story before decision makers. Uh, we, we met with the president of the Red Cross in Geneva, with the High, Count, the High Commissioner of Human Rights of the United Nations in Geneva. We made a trip to Washington, met with all the leadership, both the Republican and Democrat parties, the, the uh, Congressional Committee of Foreign Affairs. Um, we met with the Qatari ambassador to the United States together with members of Congress who were able to pound the table and say, we need you to do more to get these people released. Uh, and then we also uh, um, did the same thing, as you know, at the European Parliament. We met with uh, many members of Parliament in, in Europe, the members of the uh, European Commission, as well as the government of France. And wherever we go, we ask them to continue putting pressure on Qatar, write letters to Qatar, make phone calls to the ambassador, uh, ask them to be accountable, because we know that that's, that's, very, very, uh, that's very effective. Rosemary and I had the privilege of listening to you and others at the European Union in Brussels early this month. You did an exceptional job. That was a tremendous session you gave there. The Red Cross has been roundly criticized for their inactivity. Is that criticism merited? The Red Cross hasn't done anything, Jim, except for when the hostages were released after the, you know, the deal was implemented, they took them in their cars and drove them from the uh, from within Gaza to the Israeli border. Uh, many Israelis have criticized them, said they're nothing but taxi drivers, which I think is actually a fair criticism in this situation, uh, Jim, because they are allowed by Israel to uh, visit all of the uh, Gazans, the Hamas uh, terrorists that are being kept in Israeli prisons. We let them come in because we have nothing to be ashamed of. They're being treated based on all of the international conventions of, of the way that uh, uh, war criminals uh, should be treated. Um, and they go into uh, hospitals in Gaza uh, to look at the way the uh, civilian Gazans are being uh, treated and make, making sure humanitarian aid is being able to be delivered to them. Uh, so they're really focused on helping the Palestinians within the conflict, but they've yet to visit one hostage. They've yet to provide uh, proof of life of any hostage. They've yet to deliver any medical aid to any of the Israeli hostages held by Hamas. So they're definitely uh, helping the Palestinians, but they're not helping Israel at all. And, um, you know, one of the issues is we met with the president of, of the Red Cross and she was she was very kind and received us and said, I'm going to do everything I can, you know, to to see these people released. Um, but she, but she, but in in practice, she really hasn't done much yet. We mentioned UNRWA and, uh, you know, how problematic that organization is. So the president of the Red Cross used to work uh, for UNRWA. I think she worked for UNRWA for 20 or 30 years in in Jordan. So to me, it's not a big surprise that she's much more efficient uh, at uh, taking care of the Palestinians' needs than, you know, help, trying to um, 
help the Israeli hostages being held by Hamas, unfortunately. It's my understanding that the reason October the 7th, um, Israeli intel seemingly was taken by surprise, or there was some intel fa failure, is that they did not announce to the terrorists, their commanders, until 5 a.m. in the morning they were going in. By 6.39, they were actually at their first village. They made something like 15 incursions in the fence. Snipers took out all of the cameras along the fence, is what I've been told. Uh, is that accurate information, or how do we explain the failure of the IDF is known worldwide for its intel capabilities. How is it that this seemed to come like such a surprise? Israel is still, um, Israel right now is executing a war. And so everybody is behind our current government. When the war is over, we're going to have uh, public investiga investigatory committees that are going to look into all those questions. They haven't actually begun their work yet. So everything you mentioned is, um, is conjecture. Uh, it's educated conjecture. Uh, and so th there was definitely an, an intelligence failing. One of the things I can say is that there was a whole concept, you know, Jim, when you live in a democratic, peaceful nation, you have to have some kind of hope for a better future. You have to, as it's part of our human nature to want to believe that the other party is as, uh, as rational as we are and that there is a chance for peace. And our government uh, had this uh, false concept that was created that started at the top with the prime minister and then went all the way down throughout the ranks, including the intelligence and security um, uh, uh, forces. Uh, this started, I don't know, probably maybe seven or eight years ago that Hamas really isn't such a danger anymore. That we're in a type of ceasefire that you know, we as as long as uh, we we allow Qatar to send us money in, and they're going to use it to make a better life for the Palestinians, they might be firing rockets from time to time, but they know we we have the Iron Dome, so it's not really creating that much that much damage. Uh, and you know, then they're 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 nowhere near as big a threat as you know the threats on our northern border with Hezbollah and Iran and so on and so forth. And so there's this concept, a deep concept that that we can actually do business with Hamas that there's some kind of uh, stabilizing factor that we should allow them, you know, and, and it was, it was a terrible mistake. Um, and, uh, and what that does, when you have a concept like that, that's so deeply ingrained in your system, you misinterpret information that doesn't fit in with that concept. So there was, uh, uh, there, there was intelligence uh, from the lower ranks that uh, it came up through uh, the system uh, that warned about a scenario like this uh, a few days before October 7th, but it wasn't taken seriously enough, uh, again, because of this, this, uh, this false concept that, that uh, and that, 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 that is generally accepted knowledge, you know, before, you know, all of our investigatory, uh, investigative committees do their work to try to find out who, you know, among the, the, the ranks was responsible for what bad decisions, et cetera. But yeah, we, we can definitely say that there, there was just a, a misguided concept. Back to the hostages themselves, because that's the purpose of this call. There's 99 people being held in underground tunnels under horrific conditions and a great deal of pain right now. What more do you want to share with that and this, and about them? And then how are their families, I can only imagine, uh, this is kind of a rhetorical question, how are their families doing? 
but then also when military go in, you can't, if it was just, it was just terrorists, you could flood the tunnels or something. Right. Give hostages out. How, how, give us a, a mental image or a mental picture of what that's like to try to rescue. They're, they're, they've taken out much of northern Gaza. Uh, they're working now, I think, more to the south, as I understand, they're working towards the south. Yeah. So how, how do they go about that, militarily speaking? And then let's shift back to what more do you want to share about the hostages themselves and about their families? Well, I think you, you put your finger on, on, I would say, the biggest issue of prayer, Jim. And if I could ask you guys to pray about anything, it would be, please pray for a, a miraculous blessing on, on the IDF. This is a very, 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 it's probably the most complex war scenario uh, ever in the history of, of modern warfare because of this labyrinth of hundreds of kilometers of tunnels that have been built under the ground in Gaza. And those tunnels come in, up into various buildings where you don't know exactly where we, you know, uh, which of the buildings are going to come up in and where they are and how to access them. Uh, most of the entrances to the tunnels are booby trapped. We've had, unfortunately, uh, many soldiers killed um, by by these booby trapped uh, tunnels. And in horrible situation, maybe you're aware of uh, two weeks ago, there were three hostages that made a, a heroic escape. Uh, and unfortunately, they were um, misidentified as terrorists and killed by the IDF. It's, it's a terrible, terrible. It couldn't. There could have been a more, I would say, tragic end of, of uh, those uh, people's lives. But one of the reasons is that several days before that, they were using kind of dummies of, of hostages, terrorists that were dressed as hostages, that were using recordings in Hebrew, saying, "Please help us. We're hostages, etc." In order to draw the military into booby-trapped areas or into areas where they could be fired upon. So Hamas, is, it's, it, it's a terribly uh, a cynical organization that will do anything it can to kill as many soldiers as possible. Uh, many soldiers have unfortunately been killed, um, not many, but a handful of them have been killed by, by friend friendly fire. Again, because you have so many army units working in an extremely uh, dense urban situation that with all these tunnels and, and so on and so forth. And so that's one of the reasons that things are moving so slowly is that they have to be so careful and they, you know, barring some kind of miraculous protection and blessing of God, uh, they have a very, very, very difficult mission right now, the IDF. So please pray for them. Please pray for our soldiers and their protection that God would give them the grace to set the captives free. Uh, we know Messiah came to set the captives free as when he stood up in the, in the, synagogue in, in Galilee uh, and proclaimed, you know, in, you know, Isaiah 61, this is what I've come to do. And part of that was to, to, to set the captives free, to console those who mourn in Zion. There couldn't be a more relevant, I think, scripture to pray into uh, today. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so, so please pray for the IDF and the very, very difficult mission that they have. Um, and it's such a tragedy, uh, not only every uh, soldier that's killed, but every hostage that's killed. The terrorists are surrounding themselves by these hostages. You know, what we need to pray for is that, you know, they, they, the terrorists feel so overwhelmed that they actually surrender. Uh, that would be the best situation if they really see the end coming um, as, as, you know, difficult as that, as that, uh, that seems. God can do a miracle, um, but you know, otherwise it's just, it's, it's so difficult. They're underground. They surround themselves with the hostages. They, they try to play every game to confuse the, the, the IDF and the Israeli soldiers. 
Um, and regarding the families of the hostages, I mean, you, you could imagine what it's like, Jim, if you, if you had a family member that, you know, uh, has been held now for 85 days, you know, they're not uh, getting proper nutrition, they're not getting proper medical condition, they're deep underground without access to, to air or sunlight. Um, every time you take a shower, you feel guilty because they can't take showers. Every time you eat a good meal, you feel guilty because they're not eating good meal. I mean, they're just living with this, you know, psychological uh, 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 torment, really. Um, and, and it's so difficult. Uh, and so, yeah, please, please pray. Please pray that these captives will, will be set free. Pray for them, pray for their families, pray for the success of the military operation, um, you know, uh, who, you know, they got, got that we'll see a miracle. We really need a miracle. One of the most emotively powerful interview I saw was they showed the camera on an Israeli when he informed that his little girl had been killed by Hamas. And he burst out crying, happy, because that way she wasn't being tortured and raped. He was actually happy that she was dead. And so she didn't have to go through that. This is, the, this is like the first couple of days after after October 7. Uh, this is how horrific that situation uh, is. I cannot imagine what it's like. Rosemary, what thoughts, comments? And we're going to pray for Caleb. And then we have a team of people ready to pray for Caleb and for the hostages, for their families. Another thing about the treachery, the, the enemy is so evil. And righteous people don't think this way, but we need to be wise to the tactics. As they use even uh, the calendar um, nothing is by chance. It's all planned. They attacked on one of the most holy and joyous season days of on the biblical calendar, the Hebrew calendar. During the Feast of Tabernacles, the last day, the, the, the celebration of the joy of the Lord, um, Simcha Torah, and they brought this disaster. And so think about it in your own Christmas, this Christmas week and New Year's. You're not thinking about we're going to be attacked by terrorists right now and our whole lives are going to be shattered any moment. No, you're focused on wanting to be happy, being with your family, celebrating um, uh, your nation and what you have with you. And this is the mindset. People were, were not prepared because they, they're not evil thinkers. They were thinking biblically. And so the enemy took advantage and attacked them in their most susceptible time when they were relaxed and thinking about family and things of the Lord in this time of celebration. So we, we, I pray father that you send a redeemer to rescue your people once again. And I pray that this would be an army of redeemers, the Israel defense forces that you would anoint each one of those young men and women as yourself, as a man of war, that God, you are a victorious, um, mighty um, champion. And so Lord, in this season, di display your victory for your people, encourage your people and do what is beyond the natural. Bring the supernatural power through the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit and your presence and your mighty fire upon each and every um, young person fighting in the military right now. May they shine with your, your light in this dark, dark place and have supernatural revelation, wisdom, power, might, knowledge, of, and, and fear of the Lord come upon the enemy that they would 
surrender, Lord, just like we have heard in 67. They fled at the appearance of the angelic hosts that were with you, the Israel Defense Forces as they fought to defend themselves and their land and their people. So once again, God, we're looking to you to intervene, to show your glory, your covenant is sure and faithful for your beloved Israel, um, your firstborn son. And we thank you now, God, for raising up people around the world to stand and fight in spiritual warfare, prayer, in fasting, and doing whatever part we can while Israel does practical and spiritual work on behalf of all of the world. In Yeshua's name, amen. Caleb Myers, I want to just thank you so much for who you are and what you do. We've respected you for a long time, but uh, for you taking on this project, yeah. we saw you with the family members of the hostages in Brussels, uh, guiding them and directing them and giving them good, solid counsel. And uh, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. We just pray the blessing of the Lord upon you. Is there a website people can go to if they want to support the cause? Give us the website that how they can support you in this. Absolutely. It's at voiceforfreedom.org. So it's voice, the number four, and then freedom.org. And uh, yeah, we, we'd appreciate all of the, all the help we can get. Um, we also have demonstration apparel there, by the way. So we have... We have branded uh, T-shirts and hats and so on and so forth that say hashtag set them free, uh, which is our branding for our, for our events, which uh, I'd encourage any of you to go in and get your T-shirt or your hoodie or your hat that says set them free and 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 wear that wherever you are. Is, uh, like Jim, as when you started this conversation, you said one of the things we hope is that the world won't move on. You know, when they, when there's 129 hostages still being held by Hamas, and you know that demonstration parallel is just a good conversation starter. So, any support we we can get, uh, that would be great. And one way you can do that is by uh, uh, purchasing some of those items on on our website, voiceforfreedom.org. I have the privilege of being on a text string with you on, on what well, actually WhatsApp and uh, being informed and watching what you have formed organizations around the world. And the demonstrations positively have been launched through your your influence. So that it's remarkable what you're doing. And so, folks, go to that website. Say it one more time, Kayla, please. Voiceforfreedom.org. That's voice, the number four, and then freedom.org. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.